great. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. And Dan was very mysterious about the gift that we want to give you if you're a guest here. And uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's a, it's a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. And uh, as we all know, that is the gift that keeps on giving, Clark. Some of you are with me. Hey, my name is Ross. So glad that you're here. And happy Mother's Day. Give it up for the moms with us. Uh, thank God for them. I want to pray for them in just a minute. Uh, speaking of prayer, if you haven't noticed, uh, over the last few months, I think since February, one of the things we've been trying to incorporate into our service are some prayer stations. And I want to make mention of this this morning. Uh, at the end of the sermon, as we respond through communion and through song, at the back of the auditorium, the back of the sanctuary this morning, there's going to be uh, some of our elders and prayer team. If you just need prayer, uh, we would love to pray with you. And uh, so for the last months, uh, you can find us. We'll be holding a candle in the back. You can come forward for communion. But in most of our uh, service times, we want to have that response time available to pray with you. And that's one of the things that elders, as we see in our passage uh, this morning, elders of the church are, are charged with, are encouraged to, to pray for the body. And so we want to pray with you, for you. It may be something uh, that you're struggling with. It may be a decision that you have upcoming that you just want wisdom in or just a burden that you need to share with someone, uh, we'll, we will be in the back and we want to pray for you. And that's not just this morning, but that's any time uh, as we gather. On most Sundays, we'll have the prayer candles in the back. So please, uh, avail, yourself, avail yourself to that um, as you need. And let's pray right now. Let's thank God uh, for our moms and uh, go before the Lord as we open up his word this morning, okay? Father God, we do come to you this morning and we uh, give thanks uh, for our mothers what a uh, privilege, what an honor to be raised by great moms. Um, Lord, what an honor to be a mother, how exhausting to be a mother so often. Lord, we honor them. We pray uh, for our moms this morning, pray that it would be a special day for them. We pray that you would bless them with whatever it is that they need today um, as we gather and either, even later today, whatever it is, however you need to touch them, Lord, that you would touch them in a special way uh, today. For those of us uh, that didn't have the best of moms, for those who are grieving this morning the loss of mothers, for those who are uh, grieving this morning the fact that they uh, have not yet been a mother, Lord, would you comfort them as well on this day? Uh, as we open your word, God, we pray that you would uh, do what only you can do. We pray that my words um, would fall away, but your word would stick. God, in a, in a very noisy, uh, distracted world, we need a clear word from you. So we open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. We live in a time and especially a place uh, that frequently has us in the role and the posture of a consumer, of a customer. And within a five-mile radius of where we sit this morning as we gather uh, is one of the most densely retail areas, I'm told, in our nation. We are consumers in a consumeristic world. And I... I cannot help but believe that that must affect the way we view and participate in our church family. 
I can't help but think that the, the mentality of consumerism and the fact that we live in the area we do and the time that we do cannot help but affect, cannot help but affect the way we uh, go about or view church. Maybe you just want to consider your week, uh, as I share a little bit with you about my week, just consider my week as a Collin County customer this week. On Monday, uh, I realized that we had some oversized trash, and thankfully in our city, you can make a quick call to the, to the city and ask for bulk trash pickup. I mean, you don't have to get with dad, put it in the back of the truck or find a trailer and haul it to the dump. You can just make a quick call to the city and say, hey, come pick up the bulk trash next Monday. So on Monday, I did that. And within 60 seconds, they had answered my call. I had made the request. They got my address. Hey, please put it out before 7 a.m. next Monday. We'll come and pick it up. Easy. And here I am, a satisfied customer tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., right? Uh, on Tuesday, I went to a, a, to a coffee shop cafe for the first time. I had never been there under the recommendation of, uh, of Jay, our children's director. Shannon and I had a meeting at The Nest. If you haven't been to The Nest in Frisco, great. Those of you that are gluten-free will especially love it because of the menu there. I went to The Nest. Great atmosphere, great service. I'm always a little... Uh, just insecure when I go up to pay at a place like that as a cafe, like a bread company or whatever, and they have that place there for tip, but you're not actually serving me. I mean, you're just kind of taking the order. You're not actually waiting on the table. So what do I do? You know, I'm caught here. What's the right ethical, you know, Christian thing to do in that scenario? Well, first time customer, I didn't get a tip that day, but uh, I noticed later as they brought my food out, I got this wonderful, healthy quinoa salad, and yeah, I eat clean, I eat healthy, and I noticed that they put the avocados on top of my salad and did not upcharge me, and I was pleased. I'm coming back to this place, good service, the nest, Frisco. Um, Later that week, on Wednesday, our car has needed some work. The AC has not been working in our Honda Pilot, so uh, pretty necessary as we get further into May. I don't want to take the three kids around in a car without AC. So I, on Tuesday, I called to get an appointment to the dealership, and they got me an appointment the very next day. The first appointment they had was at 7.15. I arrived the next morning early uh, to, my appointment. I, to my appointment. I arrived at 7 a.m., and they were ready for me. They offered me coffee and water and a courtesy ride back to work. They called me by noon as they promised me they would and said, here's an update on your car. Uh, We'll come pick you up and uh, for $423, your air conditioning can now work. Oh, and by the way, a couple pages of uh, further recommendations. uh, If you'd like to go ahead and do that $2,000, thanks. Uh, I'll wait. I'd rather be stranded on the side of the road right now. Uh, So they came and picked me up, got the car, and then 24 hours later, I received a text exactly 24 hours later, asking me to rate my satisfaction with their service, right? That was on Wednesday. On Thursday, I had to call my cell, pro, my cell phone provider, who will remain nameless, uh, the worst possible call of the week, uh, to get my bill lowered because the month before, I had also called my cell phone provider and asked to get my bill lowered because I've been a customer for more than 10 years and it's getting ridiculous. And so they promised they would lower my bill by $25, but my bill came back this week, actually, or this month, actually higher than the previous month. 
uh, excuse me, what's wrong? Uh, let's take care of this. Oh yeah, I can give you a discount. I'll discount that $20. No, you're still, it's still higher this month than what they told me it would be last month. Uh, and then they also sent me a text a couple times uh, later. Oh, before they sent me the text, excuse me, the, the representative tried to upsell me DirecTV three times as I told him, no, I'm not wanting to add to my plan. I'm wanting to reduce my television and my costs. No, I'm not interested yet again. I know it's been five minutes. Don't try to sell it. And, and then I get a text asking me to rate their service. I won't tell you what I rated uh, the service. I also realized on Friday that I needed to order some books for our upcoming uh, new series in men's Bible study. So what did I do? I went to Amazon. I clicked on the books I wanted. And with 60 seconds, I had the books ordered. And they will be delivered today on Sunday. We love service, don't we? But do we love to serve? How does the pervasive, entrenched consumerism affect the way we view God's church? How does a consumer mindset affect the way we shop for a kid's ministry? The way we attend a community group, or a Bible study? How will we rate the sermon and the music today? I can't help but, if, but think that the consumeristic mindset must come into play as we think about the church. We live in an area where customer service is king, but as Believers in Jesus, we serve a king who came as a servant. And in fact, the amazing words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says this. Jesus says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We love service, but do we love to serve. And this morning in our passage, as we walk through the book of Acts, we get to a place where more people are called on to serve. So join me, if you will, in Acts chapter 6. Um, we see what many scholars say is the beginning of the role of deacons in the local church. We're going to look at seven verses at the beginning of Acts chapter 6 today. And uh, if you will follow along with me, we'll read it and then make some observations and application, okay? Acts 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because, the, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they, and they laid their hands on them. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. If you've been with us, we've, uh, we've seen as we've been walking through Acts that the Holy Spirit has come on the church, Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in the believers. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in the church. But here's the thing, just because the Holy Spirit indwells us as followers of Jesus doesn't mean that we will be without trial. It doesn't mean that we will be without opposition. So the story of the church in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes, and Acts chapter 3, boom, persecution and opposition and trial comes. And so we've seen this, the church challenged as we've gone through this. In chapters 3 and 4, we see persecution from the outside. In chapter 5, we see hypocrisy on the inside which is quickly and harshly judged. In the second part of chapter 5, we see persecution from the outside again. And then as we get to chapter 6, this time the trouble comes again from inside, and there is division as well as distraction. And what's happened as you look at verse 1 here is that there's this complaint It's interesting, if you look in the context, look at the end of chapter 5 with me back up, verses 41 and 42, they've been persecuted Okay, they've been imprisoned, and look how the end of chapter 5 goes. It says, verse 41, they left the presence of the council who was uh, trying to stop their preaching. They, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. They move about their business. They keep preaching, they, they keep proclaiming, and verse six or chapter 6, verse 1 says, they're increasing, even after the persecution. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, even in the midst of the persecution, what happens? What do you think is going to happen at the second part of verse 1? Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, they were filled with joy. They gained uh, favor in the eyes of all the people. No, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Now, before we're hard on the Hellenists, it's, it's a legit complaint. The, ch- the early church, like the nation of Israel, took seriously the call to, to care for the widows and the orphans. And so part of the ministry of the church was taking care of women who were unable by their families to be cared for by their families. And so there we find out there were these lists of widows that were cared for by the church as they exhibited great generosity. And so there's this complaint, and the complaint also has this this kind of racial, ethnic uh, feature to it. So these are believers who are Hellenist complaining against the Hebrew Jews. So what are Hellenist Jews and what are Hebraic Jews? Well, Hebraic Jews is a bit of a uh, redundancy, but Hellenistic Jews means that their primary language was probably Greek. They were from the diaspora, the, the areas that, where Jews had been scattered, and their primary language was Greek rather than Aramaic, which would have been the primary language of Jesus and the first century Jews at that time. So there's this division, hey, our widows... Uh, Our moms, our grandmothers are not being treated fairly, 
and it has kind of this racial undertone to it. And so the apostles have to address this inner turmoil, this division within the church that's beginning to rise. And so the apostles come together and they wisely make this recommendation, hey, we've got some priorities here of the word and prayer, but this is important. And let's make sure this need, important as it is, gets addressed and we can remain committed to the word and prayer as is our calling. Now, a question we should ask here, and it's a convicting question to me, is do we have any type of ethnic or cultural diversity in our church that would raise an issue like this? And if we wouldn't have any cultural tension or any uh, problems racially, perhaps we're not being the church that God has called us to be. Because this is a beautiful problem. The church and the gospel has brought together diverse cultures. And when you bring together diverse cultures, whether it's racial or economic or just backgrounds, uh, there's going to be a little rub. And my heartbeat is that our church, though different from the world, looks like the world culturally, racially, ethnically. And when that happens, as that happens, there'll be tension. So it's a difficult problem, but it's, a, it's, it's also giving us evidence that church is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And yet the leadership has the wisdom and the resources to address the problem in a way that brings peace. And as we look at this today, we see three basic, as the apostles address this, we see three basic features of biblical leadership, okay? Three basic fundamental elements of biblical leaders. And those, those elements are an emphasis on plurality, the priority of spirituality, and finally, a diversity of responsibility, okay? So first of all, an emphasis on plurality. What do we see here? We see, and you already know this, but that the apostles were 12, This was a reconstitution of the 12 tribes of Israel. God is continuing something, but now instead of having 12 tribes, he has 12 apostles. That's not an accident. And so it's not Peter alone that's leading the church. Although Peter Peter becomes to prominence, it's always God's desire for leadership is always a plurality. So you have the 12, and what do they do to fix this problem? They don't just call on Stephen who does end up kind of being prominent, we see in the following chapter, as well as Philip, we hear more about him. The rest of these seven guys, we really don't know that much about. But in both cases, whether it's the apostles, elders, or deacons, in this case, most scholars believe this is the first occasion of deacons being appointed, and the word deacon simply means servant. Okay, we'll talk about that more in a second. But servant. So in this, we see this this emphasis on plurality of leadership. And as you go on through the book of Acts, as we get to chapter 14, you'll see that the apostles, they go throughout all the towns and they appoint, they appoint elders, plural. And I challenge you to find any place in the New Testament where it talks about leadership or it's just one person. It's the, the, the king or the demagogue of the organization, the CEO, if you will. It's always plural. Acts 14, they appointed elders, plural, in all the churches. James chapter 5, I said earlier about the, one of the roles of elders are to pray. And it, it says in James chapter 5, if, if any of you are sick, call upon the elders, plural. A New Testament pattern of leadership is always this emphasis on plurality. No, not one person 
is in charge or leads the church. And that's the way our church is set up at Centennial. Though I might be the lead pastor, I lead with a plurality of elders. And I don't get my way all the time. Trust me. They'll push back. We'll come to consensus. We'll come to unity. And that's the way it should be. I don't want to be solely responsible for the life and direction of a church. That's a high calling. No way would I want that on my shoulders. So we see always in the New Testament this emphasis on plurality. Secondly, we see the priority of spirituality as they select these leaders. Look with me in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. These are people that are uh, uh, supposed to be of good reputation. And how are they described? Full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the spirit and wisdom. What is he saying there? He's saying these are supposed to be spiritual men. But Ross, they're just waiting on tables. They're just serving the poor. Why do they really need to be spiritual leaders if they're just doing kind of this administrative stuff? Because the Bible's priority for leaders is not the same as the world's. It's not about charisma. It's not about popularity. It's about are they full of the Spirit? Are they examples? Even as deacons, even in these administrative roles, they need to be men full of the Spirit. Not just people of charisma, not just people that are popular, not just people that have money or business acumen, but they need to be full of the Spirit and also people that are known for their wisdom. If you want to know more about our leadership uh, principles and beliefs as a church, you can go to our website, centennialchurch.com backslash leadership. And as you go to that webpage, you'll find some, some links that go to sermons as well as a PDF that explains kind of, our, kind of our understanding. I've preached on this before. We moved to an elder form of government about four years ago. So we believe that elders are charged with oversight of the church overseeing the doctrine, over, overseeing the direction of the church and the shepherding needs. But we also see this role of deacon here as a role of primarily uh, helps and administration coming alongside elders in a way that serves the church and meets practical needs. So we have three deacons at Centennial Church. One of those deacons is Doug Wines, who's in Ireland today. We didn't send him on that trip. He's, that's his, no. Uh, Doug is in Ireland. Doug oversees our facility and our building. John Watkins, who is here somewhere, uh, oversees kind of our stewardship on the back row. Um, never on the front row. He's always on the back row. Just kidding. Uh, John has been a faithful member of our church, oversees our stewardship. And Jim Hessen over here, always in his faithful seat, oversees our mission emphasis, okay? Uh, deacons are appointed, in this case, waiting on tables, overseeing the care of widows for this particular duty. Uh, Verse 3, the end of chapter 3, it says, we will appoint them to this duty. So we see deacons as appointed for a specific role of service. But nevertheless, the emphasis is a priority on spirituality. Thirdly, Not only do we see an emphasis on plurality, the priority of spirituality, but thirdly, we see a diversity of responsibility. So the deacons are going to oversee this important care of uh, social needs, of making sure people in the body 
uh, are taken care of. And they do this specifically so the responsibility of the apostles, or in further cases, the church grows, the responsibility of the elders can remain focused upon primarily two things, according to this passage. What are those two things? The Word of God and prayer. The Word of God and prayer. And what we see, if you look at the first five chapters that we've been going through in the book of Acts, what we see as a pattern from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6 is that they, as the church focuses on both the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, and on prayer, two things happen. There's persecution as well as growth. There's persecution as well as growth. As the, as the Word of God is boldly proclaimed, God grows His church. And God also brings opposition to his church. Acts 2.42, the the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and prayer. And the church leaders, according to Acts 6 and other places, are supposed to primarily be focused upon the ministry of the word and prayer as other people can have diverse responsibilities and come in and take care of administrative things so that the church elders, primarily elders and pastors, can focus on this spiritual work of prayer and the ministry of the Word. Does that mean that the elders and pastors don't serve table? That's like little people's stuff? No, not at all. In fact, the the occurrence of this issue means that they were probably dealing with it. But what they reason is that we can't neglect our main responsibility to get uh, over-focused on this legit social need. So we'll raise up other leaders full of the spirit and wisdom to have a diversity of responsibility and a shared leadership. One of the great gifts uh, that I've been given over the last year is a partner in Shannon Miles. He's over here. I'm going to embarrass her. Shannon is our director of operations, and it's been wonderful to have Shannon come alongside me and take off of me a lot of the day-to-day and week-to-week administrative and leadership responsibilities so I can focus on being a pastor who can shepherd people, who can teach and preach the Word of God and pray for us and pray for you. What a blessing. As different people in different areas of leadership have different giftings and different responsibilities. But we all have responsibilities. We all have a place of service. The mission of Centennial Church, as Dan said, is to center lives on Jesus Christ. That's our one mission. That one mission has four strategies. Genuine community, authentic worship, biblical teaching, and holistic mission. That's how we're accomplishing centering lives on Jesus Christ. One mission, four strategies, but you may not know we also have eight core values. Eight core values. You can find these on our website if you need to review. We probably need to get them before you more frequently. But one of those values is the value of mission. And this is what we say about mission. Mission means every believer is a minister and a missionary. In a culture, get this second sentence, in a culture of accumulation, we give ourselves in sacrificial service to the church, our neighbors, and the nations. In a culture of give me, give me, more, more, consumer, in a culture of of accumulation, we give ourselves in sacrificial service to the church as well as our neighbors and the nation. We cannot follow Jesus and be focused upon me, myself, and I. And so whether you're a deacon or an elder or a member of Centennial Church, you have a place 
to serve sacrificially. You have a place on the team. We have ways to do that. We have ways to do that. Within the last few months, one of the things that Shannon has implemented is as you go, as you leave here today, outside in the lobby on this side, so left, as you got, we have a new needs board that we've created. And those are current needs that we have. If you don't have a place to serve, you can go out there today. You can take that card. You can put your name on it. You can drop it in the little bin there, and we will contact you about how to serve. So we may have different responsibilities. We all have this call to serve the church. Not to be served. Yes, as a church, we want to serve you. Absolutely. We are in the service business. But that works as we all serve one another in our various responsibilities. And the church couldn't progress here until the the sharing of responsibility and the sharing of leadership was spread out beyond this small group of guys. And look what happened. Look at the result. Verse 7. This is where we get the sermon title this morning, Dividing and Multiplying. The result of that strategy, verse 6, they pray for them, they lay their hands on them, and uh, ordaining them, uh, uh, anointing them as, as servant leaders, deacons in the church in verse 7. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's the result of this dividing to multiply. And the word, what, what, what would you think might happen at the, at the end of this uh, issue that gets resolved? Verse seven, and the widows quit complaining. <laughs> no, the point is not people quit complaining. The point is that ministry was given away and the word of God spread because people were doing their part, jumping in, serving, saying, I can do that. Will you do that? Yeah, I can do that. I have a heart for that. And what you see is that this role of deacon, uh, as I said, Stephen and Philip, these guys, these guys don't just wait tables. That's not the extent of all their ministry. We see Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We'll get to him in Acts chapter 7 next week. We see this guy that begins waiting tables also has a ministry of proclamation, a ministry of preaching and witnessing. And Philip also... It's not just waiting tables, but he's serving other people as he takes the gospel to other places beyond Jerusalem and Judea. This, in Acts chapter 6, is the first occurrence of this concept of, of dividing ministry to the deacons and the first concept we have of a deacon. But the first concept I had of this role was not from Acts chapter 6. It was actually as a six-year-old kid watching my dad. Because my dad was a deacon for almost all of my life. And as a kid, I developed this drug problem. I was drugged to church all the time by my dad, who was a deacon. And the word deacon, again, it just means servant. The word literally means servant. And so what was I doing on Saturday morning? I was getting my butt out of bed and going to mow the lawn at the church and to paint what needed to be paint, painted, and to fix whatever my dad was fixing. Because his, his soul, his heart uh, was not as a teacher, his heart was as a servant. I'm gonna make myself self available to God and his church. And I was there all the time. 
And some things about our relationship with Christ are more caught than taught. And I caught service from my dad, who was there all the time. How can I help? What can I do? I've got these skills. And it was powerful to me. Very powerful. You've got a role you can play. If you haven't found that role yet, let us help you find that role. We need people to hold babies, to pray for babies as they're in that nursery. We need people to be table leaders and teachers. We need people to run these slides. It's a hard job, right? We need people, I, I think about uh, Sherry Farmer, who attends here. I don't know if Sherry's here today, but Sherry gets here about 8.30 every Sunday, and she goes through all these chairs, and she makes sure that they have the connection cards and that they have the pens. That's her little place of service, her faithful place of service that she does. I can do that. I can get there early. When I think about uh, servants at Centennial, I also can't help but think about Ken Cox, who's back in that sound booth right now. Ken Cox, in the little over 10 years that I've been here at Centennial Church, Ken Cox has been in that booth 95% of the Sundays. I'm, I'm not kidding. I bet in the 10 years that I've been here, Ken has missed church maybe 10 to 12 times. Seriously. He has found, and this is where I can serve, and he is faithful week after week, serving us in a way that most of us don't even recognize. You walk in, in here and you walk out of here, and you never see the difference that Ken makes on our cameras or on our tech team. I think also uh, this morning about Jody Bartek, always on the front row, Jody. How many of you have been greeted with a smile and extra love from Jody Bartek, who has just found her place of service, yeah? Has found her place of service as someone who warmly greets people. What a gift to our family. I think about Marilyn who also warmly greets so many of us and sets such, such a wonderful temperature in our lobby. I think about Jim Waldron. Jim Waldron is at this church anytime we open the doors, anytime we have a need. He's serving our kids this morning because he is a deacon. He doesn't have a title deacon, but he at heart is a servant. And I asked Jim, it's probably been a couple months ago, and I said, Jim, why are you so faithful why do you do this? Why do you show up? How, how, how is it that this is part of your DNA? You know what Jim told me? He said, when I was growing up, my, we lived across the street from the church. And I saw my dad going over to the church week after week, night after night, setting tables up. And it just became part of who I am. His dad didn't sit him down and say, you need to serve God and you need to serve the church. He, he just drug him. Some things are caught more than taught. So here's my question to us this morning. Would your kids know by your commitment to the church that you're a Jesus follower? Would they know by your service, by your attendance, by the way you're here early, by the way you stay late, by the way you sign up to serve, would they know that you're a lover of Jesus based upon your service to the church? If your kids received a text message this week, assuming they have phones, which I hope they don't, and said, you have to rate your parents' service to the church on a scale of one to 10, we value your feedback, what would they say? 
If your friends, if your coworkers, just in day-to-day, week-to-week conversation, you say, yeah, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I had this deal with the church, and then I went and served this family, and you know, we had our community. Would they, would they know your commitment to Jesus because of your faithfulness in service? The church needs one another. You need other people and other people need you at the place of service as well. We follow a king, but we follow a king who became our servant. Jesus, the king of kings and Lord of lords became the suffering servant. He washes our feet. He shed his blood. He stoops down and serves to lift lift us up. Will you pray with me? As we bow our heads, this is a wonderful time and a wonderful topic by which to come to the Lord's table this morning to celebrate our King and our servant who went so far not as to give his time but to give his life, as I said, to shed his blood. Father God, we thank you that you you have given us such incredible love through Jesus. One who did not have to serve, in no way was required to serve, but came and served us, bled for us. How can we not now serve you and serve one another when we look at the great model and the great motivation we have in Jesus himself. God, would you help us to find our place in the church? Would you help us to find our passion, our gifts, or even just the place that we're needed for the moment, for this season? To jump in and help the word of God multiply as we divide the word. Holy Spirit, impress upon hearts right now what it is that we need to hear. We ask these things in the beautiful name of our servant Jesus. Amen. I want to invite our communion servers to go ahead and come forward and take the elements and return to your serving station. You don't need to be a member of Centennial Church to celebrate at the table this morning with us. You do need to be a believer in Jesus. And what we do as we come forward this morning is we are reminded of the King who came and served us. And we are empowered by his body and blood to serve him in turn, to go out of here and serve our neighbors in the power of Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. 
We thank you for your precious blood spilt for all who will call upon your name. And we pray that as we come and remember and celebrate you this morning, Jesus, you would fill us by your spirit to be your sons and daughters who serve you, who serve your church, who serve the lost, who serve the least, who bring hope and healing to the hurting, to the hungry. Jesus, we love you. Help us to love you more. Amen. Come and celebrate.